What's brown and sounds like a parrot? I don't know what. A ferret! <laughs> it's time for Children's Hour. Kids Public Radio. All God's critters got a place in the choir. Some sing low, some sing high, some sing out loud on the telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got now. All God's critters got a place in the choir. Some sing low, some sing high, some sing out loud on the telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got. Listen to the bass, it's the one on the bottom where the bullfrog croaks and the hippopotamus moans and groans with the big doo-doo. The old cow just goes moo. The dog and the cat pick up the middle while the honeybee hums and the cricket fiddles. The donkey brays and the pony neighs. The old coyote howls. All God's critters got a place in the choir Some sing low, some sing higher Some sing out loud on the telephone wire Some just clap their hands or paws Or anything they got now Listen to the top where the little birds sing On the melody with the high notes ringing The hoot out hollers over everything And the jaybird disagrees Singing in the nighttime, singing in the day the Little duck quacks and he's on his way The possum ain't got much to say And the porcupine talks to himself All God's critters got a place in the choir Some sing low, some sing high Some sing out loud on the telephone wire Some just clap their hands or paws Or anything they got now Critters got a place in the choir. Some sing low, some sing high, some sing out loud on the telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got. All God's critters got a place in the choir. Some sing low, some sing high, some sing out loud on the telephone wire. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything they got now. That's Terry Hendricks from an oldie but goodie called Celebrate the Difference, her version of A Place in the Choir. I'm Katie Stone. This is the Children's Hour. I'm really glad to be with everyone out in listener land and all of you on Zoom. Hello to the kids crew. Hello. Hi. Hi. And who do we have with us? Hi, it's Kodiak. Hello, it's Amadeus. Hello, it's Zen. Hi, it's Evan. Hello, it's Isaac. Hi, it's Lily May. It's Corbett. Yeah. Hi, it's Flo. Hi, it's Eritrea. Hi, it's Illuminata. What's up, it's Kid. Hi, it's Genevieve. Hi, it's Select. Hello, it's Liam. Hi, it's Eli. Hi, it's Colton. Hello, it's Lily. Hi, it's Daniel. Hi, friends, it's Melissa. You all, I am so excited about this show. We are going to learn about black-footed ferrets. Yeah. So yeah. Cute. Cutest yeah. thing ever. I love them. Let's hear. Why do you love them, Melissa? 
I I love them because they they have they don't necessarily have the spine. They have like they they're very fragile, and they they like to run inside tomb uh, little tubes. I have a friend that has them. Not only are they adorable, but they are one of the most critically endangered mammals in North America. In fact, black-footed ferrets used to number in the millions. Today, there's less than 1,000 in zoos and in the wild. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Paul E. Marinari. He's the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, and that's in the Washington National Zoo. And Mr. Marinari is part of a team of scientists who are saving black-footed ferrets from certain extinction. You're going to find out how black-footed ferrets were declared extinct, and yet they were found surviving in Wyoming. So much to learn today about the elusive, beautiful, and rare black-footed ferret. Stick with us. This is the Children's Hour, and this is Karen Poche. I'm writing a song about ferrets. Cool. I love ferrets. They're some kind of rodent. No, they're mustelids. Ferrets rhyme nicely with parrots, but parrots and ferrets are really quite different pets. Totally different. Parrots are feathered and flighty and squawky and even quite talky once they have been taught. That sounds like a chicken. Ferrets are furry and cuddly and nibbly and nuzzly, but quiet. They don't talk a lot. I could be poetic and feed them fresh carrots, but that would be cheating, cause they prefer jam. And Cheerios! Strawberry jam doesn't have all the vitamins carrots are noted for, but... But it's yummy! I like jam. When you are writing a song about ferrets, you don't make things up. I'm writing a song about carrots. And long. They aren't related to weasels, the cousins of ferrets, the subject of the silly song. <laughs> weasels are wiggly like ferrets, not orange like carrots, and carrots aren't feathered or furry. You furry carrots are wriggly and lovable. Carrots are vegetables, vegetables. parrots are birds. They shouldn't be paired up with parrots. They don't go in salads like carrots. I'd better stop there. It's the end. Cause I've run out of words. The end. A song about ferrets is Karen Poget. That's from a CD called Can't Help But Love You, Baby. And you are listening to the Children's Hour. I am Katie Stone. Today's show is all about one of the most critically endangered mammals in all of North America, the black-footed ferret. And for those of you like me who love ferrets, who have seen people's pet ferrets, we're going to learn a whole lot more about ferrets, in particular black-footed ferrets, which used to roam wild in New Mexico 
And we're going to learn about their curious smell, too. Our guest today is the man behind the plan to save black-footed ferrets from extinction. Paul Marinari is the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute. That is at the National Zoo outside of Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Children's Hour, Mr. Marinari. Thank you, everybody, for having me. We're so glad to have you on the show. We have a lot we want to learn about black-footed ferrets. And very first of all, we need to know what is a black-footed ferret? Well, a a black-footed ferret is North America's actually only ferret species. It's a member of the Mustelidae family. And those are species that usually kind of have that musty smell that you were referring to earlier. And they're really specialist carnivores on prairie dogs. They need prairie dogs to survive. And they're also considered to be more active at night, which makes them a more nocturnal species. So a solitary nocturnal carnivore that lives in the North American prairie. They're very unique to North America and one member of a huge, huge ecosystem of very unique plants and animals that you find here in the U.S. and a little bit of Canada and a little bit of Mexico. Are they related to the pet ferrets that we were hearing Melissa talk about earlier? They definitely are. There's actually only three ferret species in the entire world. There's the North America's black-footed ferret, which is highly endangered. The European polecat is the species Melissa was referring to, and that's the animal or the species that was domesticated thousands of years ago that you see in pet stores. And then the closest living relative to our black-footed ferret is the Siberian polecat. And that species is found in parts of, of China and Russia. Are the other two species of ferrets worldwide endangered like the black-footed ferret? So black-footed ferrets are endangered because of loss of habitat. They are a, a specialist and they require prairie dogs and prairie dog colonies for their survival. So those colonies have been greatly reduced. We only have about uh, 2% of the historic prairie dog populations left in North America. It really ties in if you lose your food base uh, and your habitat where you live, you can't survive. And, And that prairie dog Habitat has been lost for a number of different reasons, but the primary reason is the introduction of a disease called sylvatic plague that wipes out prairie dogs. It's a bacterial disease. It wipes out prairie dogs and black-footed ferrets, and it's one of our biggest obstacles we deal with in management of the species. Wow. There's only 2% of the prairie dogs left. I mean, here in New Mexico, it just seems like there's millions and millions of prairie dogs everywhere. There used to be billions and billions of prairie dogs. So now we're left with millions of prairie dogs. The black-footed ferret historic range used to be all across the Great Plains in 12 states here in the U.S., from New Mexico and Arizona and a little bit of of northern Mexico, all the way up to Montana and Wyoming and Colorado and Kansas and Texas. So the range was quite large. And basically that range had shrunk down and you ended up with small islands where black-footed ferrets could persist. Unfortunately, that makes them at greater risk to different events and inbreeding and disease. 
So we're very lucky that the black-footed ferret isn't extinct. I read that black-footed ferrets were down to just seven families of black-footed ferrets left. Is that true? That's not entirely true. We were down to 18 individuals. That's how low the population went. And we believe of those 18 individuals, seven of them had unique genetic material. So we say that we have seven founders, but we were very lucky to rediscover the species. And that happened 40 years ago. It was actually a ranch dog named Shep. He actually discovered the species. Very, very lucky. How did that happen? That's a great story. So it was on a ranch in Wyoming and Shep was outside and his owners heard him scuffling with an animal. They went out and saw this dead carcass. The the rancher tossed it into a brush pile. And the next morning, his wife actually went and looked for it. She found it, brought it to a local taxidermist. And a taxidermist is somebody who stuffs dead animals. And that taxidermist identified it as one of the most endangered species on the planet, the black-footed ferret. And that's what started all of our conservation work with the species. We're talking with Paul Marinari. He is the senior curator at the Center for Species Survival at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute. We'll be right back with more.
Blackfooted Ferret is the Whiz Pops from Ranger Rick's Trail Mix Volume 1. Right here on the Children's Hour, we are learning about Blackfooted Ferrets. And we've got Paul Marinari, who is working on the restoration plan for saving Blackfooted Ferrets from extinction. The kids have more questions for you. Genevieve, go ahead. What do Blackfooted Ferrets eat? Black-footed ferrets primarily eat prairie dogs, and prairie dogs are a rodent that's found on the North American prairie. That makes up about 90% of their diet. They would also eat kind of other small mice and some birds, but it's primarily prairie dogs that they need to persist in the wild. And only prairie dogs. They've just got a taste for prairie dogs. Well, there used to be billions and billions of prairie dogs. So black-footed ferrets, as I believe it was Melissa said, was talking about the domestic ferrets being really flexible and bendy. They do have spines, but they are very pliable animals. So the prairie dog burrow system not only is a place where black-footed ferrets can get their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but it's also a place where black-footed ferrets can escape from predators like coyotes and different raptors and badgers. So that burrow system is really critical for black-footed ferrets to survive. Uh, It's also below ground is kind of a a constant temperature. So black-footed ferrets don't hibernate. So they're active year-round, either in the heat of Arizona and New Mexico or the winters in Montana and Canada. So they, they evolve to be a specialist on those prairie dogs. Yeah. We're learning about black-footed ferrets today with Paul Marinari, who's the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute and part of the team rescuing black-footed ferrets from certain extinction. There's a lot more coming up right here on the Children's Hour. listening to the Children's Hour at Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back. The New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs supports the Children's Hour. Their Wonder on Wheels, Wow! Mobile Museum is visiting New Mexico libraries this summer with crafts, music, puppets, and summer reading programs. Learn more about Wonder on Wheels at newmexicoculture.org. Electric Playhouse supports the Children's Hour. Find your play at Electric Playhouse in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's fun for kids and adults who want to play like a kid again. Featuring 16 interactive spaces with constantly rotating games and a full restaurant. Families can play and dine at Electric Playhouse. Tickets and investment opportunities at electricplayhouse.com. The Children's Hour is supported by the New Mexico Humanities Council. Since 1972, NMHC has sought to engage New Mexicans with history, culture, and diverse humanities topics.
so fast and jump so high With two straight horns and big brown eyes She's colored like a cantaloupe The answer is an antelope is Farmer Jason and Iris Dement from a CD called Nature Jams. Before the break, you heard the Prairie Dog song. That was by Chris Scott and his second grade daughter, Melody, recorded back in 2008. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and today on the show, we have with us Paul Marinari. He's the senior curator at Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, and he is the man who helped devise the plan to ensure that black-footed ferrets do not become extinct. We have a lot more questions for you from the kids. Let's go to Airdrie. How many babies does black-footed ferrets usually have? 
I oversee part of our, our breeding population. And typically, a female black-footed ferret can give birth to an average of, of three kits per year. We have seen females give birth anywhere from one kit up to 10 kits. That's pretty rare, but the average is between three and four. And we see the same thing of black-footed ferrets in the wild. The ferrets' moms are really, really, really good moms, and they actually can accept kits from other litters. And we often use as a management tool uh, what we call fostering. So we can mix and match and add kits from other females to a litter. We keep track of who the actual parents are because that's important as we manage the population. But it just gives us a little bit more flexibility in, in mixing and matching animals, especially when we decide which animals go out for reintroduction. Around how long are black-footed ferrets' lifespans? Black-footed ferrets usually live in the wild between two and three years of age. And in our managed setting at, at various zoos, we have had ferrets live to be eight or nine years of age. We, we tend to only keep the one to five-year-olds as part of our breeding programs. And then the older animals are often sent out as educational ambassadors to various zoos throughout the country. Are black-footed ferrets like domestic ferrets in that you can handle them and put them on your neck and they're super cute? Or are they bitey? They are pretty bitey. We intentionally don't handle or try in any way to domesticate black-footed ferrets because any black-footed ferret born in our breeding program has the potential to be returned to the wild. So we want them to do what ferrets do, which is be a specialized carnivore. When kits are very young, we do pick them up to shift them away from mom. About at age 50 days of age is when they kind of realize that they're black-footed ferrets and they don't want to have anything to do with us. Why do black-footed ferrets have black feet? That is a really good question, Soleil, and one that we really aren't completely sure about. A lot of people have thought that it has something to do with the way that the black-footed ferret can blend into the environment to make it less identifiable to different predators. Other people think that it's something to do with conservation of heat. So the black-footed ferrets kind of curl up and potentially maybe that, that dark fur is, is a little warmer, but there's still a lot of questions we don't understand. We are doing our best to map the entire black-footed ferret genome but pretty much every black-footed ferret that we have had born does have black feet. Those are just a couple of possibilities. It's one of those questions that we don't have a definitive answer on. Are ferrets smart? Well, ferrets are as smart as they need to be. We have released animals that have been born in various zoos back to the wild, and they are pretty quick to adapt and survive back on the prairie. At most of our reintroduction sites, we have seen successful births the next year. So we know that black-footed ferrets can really adjust to their surroundings. Uh, and it's not so much that they're smart, it's that they are designed and have evolved to do what the species does. The fact that they still exist and the fact that most all the kids on the program today 
have never lived in a world without black-footed ferrets in the wild. To really have that piece of the prairie puzzle around for future generations to enjoy. You talked about them being a part of a greater uh, ecosystem or a puzzle, like you said. What part of the puzzle do they fit in? I think that a lot of it has to do with the predator-prey cycle. They are one of the primary predators of prairie dogs in the prairie ecosystem. Obviously, the prairie ecosystem can persist without black-footed ferrets in it. We, We know that they were extinct in the wild for two years, actually four years, sorry, 1987 and 1991, there were no black-footed ferrets in the wild. That's when those last 18 individuals came into our breeding programs. Black-footed ferrets crossed over the old land bridge that used to exist between what's now Russia and Alaska. There was this basically sea of grass and abundance of prairie dogs, and they, they specialized in, in that. There used to be hundreds of thousands of black-footed ferrets in the North American prairie, we did get down to zero, and we are currently between 300 and 400 at our reintroduction sites. We believe we have a couple sustainable populations, which means we don't have to add additional animals from our breeding centers to those populations. But the biggest obstacle right now is sylvatic plague, as I mentioned, and that's considered an exotic disease to North America. So it, it is fatal to them, and it's also fatal to prairie dogs. How do black ferrets protect themselves? So uh, black-footed ferrets protect themselves primarily going down and escaping in that burrow system. They basically have some predators that they have to deal with, like coyotes and badgers and raptors. So it's really a very quick reaction time and being flexible, like you had said, that they can really kind of dive into those burrows and really turn around in those burrows and we're talking a, a, a prairie dog burrow, like about yay big. So like four inches across. Exactly. Yeah. They have really big canines and those are primarily used to go and suffocate prairie dogs. And then they consume about one prairie dog every three days. What an awful way to go if you're a prairie dog. We're talking with Paul Marinari. He's the senior curator for the Center for Species Survival at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute at the National Zoological Park. You're listening to the Children's Hour. We'll be right back. Rounded and cute, they leap among the rocks Like long furry noodles wearing short black socks They have beady little eyes and massive on their faces Their noses and their whiskers are for underground spaces But their very homes are ruined because we didn't have a clue So now we only see them in the sea Bring back the black footed
that was Monty Harper and the Richmond Elementary fourth grade class from 2013. Bring back the black-footed ferret. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and we're talking black-footed ferrets today with a man who knows so much about them. Paul Marinari is the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, and we're going to be posting lots of photos and links and even a video just go to childrenshour.org and look for the episode called Black-Footed Ferrets. The program to save black-footed ferrets includes cloning. Can you talk about that? We're doing a lot of things with black-footed ferrets to save them from extinction. We obviously brought in the 18 last known black-footed ferrets to start a breeding program in 1985 to 1987. Through natural breeding, where we pair a male black-footed ferret with a female black-footed ferret, we have produced over 10,000 kits. We have produced over 150 kits via assisted reproductive technique of artificial insemination. And our main goal is to try and capture as much of the genetic diversity that we have left in this population. It's considered a closed population. For genetic management, it means that there are no other populations of black-footed ferrets that we know of in the world that are genetically different than what we started with, with the Wyoming population. There, There was a population of ferrets that was found in South Dakota in the mid 1960s. That population was studied, but went locally extinct. Some were brought in for a breeding program. None of those animals survived. The last one in captivity died in 1979 and all of the wild population went extinct. So we only have the Wyoming population left. Not all of those animals that were brought in from Wyoming went on to successfully reproduce. So their lineage ended. One of those animals whose lineage ended, her name was Willa. She produced one kit who never produced anything, and then he died. So Willa died in 1988. Some of her cells were sent to the frozen zoo in San Diego. Another one of those early animals that came into the breeding program was named Scarface. And Scarface was a really, really good breeder. He has lots of kits, and he is well represented in our current breeding population. We, we collected biomaterials, as we call them, from Scarface, and that was frozen and went to the cryorepository at the Smithsonian. And in 2010, we resurrected Scarface by artificial insemination. And those kits were very, very genetically valuable. Now we go back to Willa in San Diego. Those cells from Willa were the cells that were used for cloning, we successfully produced one surviving clone. And you may have seen her in the paper. Her name is Elizabeth Ann, but she is in the pedigree. Her mother and her father are Willa. She's a duplicate of Willa. So that's all research right now. Um, we're not incorporating any, any cloned animals into our overall managed breeding population. None of the cloned individuals will be going out to reintroduction sites. But our overall goal is that at some point in time, we can incorporate the genes of Willa 
which through our genetic assessment are very, very unique and specific, just like we did with Scarface into the population, basically turns back the clock several years genetically. Is it ethical to clone black-footed ferrets? That was actually reviewed. And we actually had scientists do a whole investigation on whether not only if we have the ability to do something, should we do that? And as a collective group, it was decided that we would proceed with that research. And that was all under the, the permit process of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which owns all black-footed ferrets. So everything we do with the ferret goes through review process. The similar things have been asked, should we, is it ethical for us in the zoo community to feed black-footed ferrets live prey? Our goal is to produce the best possible ferret we can to survive in the wild. And we have found that by giving them live prey helps with their ultimate survival. We're talking black-footed ferrets with Paul Marinari. He is the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute and helping save black-footed ferrets from extinction. You're listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back. United Way of North Central New Mexico supports the Children's Hour. Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque, New Mexico is a proud supporter of the Children's Hour. The Children's Hour is supported in part by an award from New Mexico Arts, a division of the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Support for the Children's Hour is also provided by the City of Albuquerque's Cultural Services Department and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Token Ibis is a supporter of the Children's Hour. At Token Ibis, they know that philanthropy doesn't need more money, it needs more people. Users can direct Token Ibis money towards their favorite New Mexico nonprofits. Learn more and sign up at tokenibis.org. Black-footed ferret. 
gotta care for it Black foot Let's all be aware of it Cause we've got to keep them in this world Everyone can help now, boy and girl We gotta care for it That was Mr. T and Friends singing about the topic of the day, black-footed ferrets. And over the break, you heard Poddington Bear. Today, we're learning about black-footed ferrets because they're one of the most critically endangered species of all. And our guest is trying to save them from extinction. Paul Marinari is the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute. The kids have a few more questions for you. Let's go over to Lily. You said that you are beginning to release the black-footed ferret into the wild. And I was wondering if there are laws protecting them for killings of the animals. It is illegal to intentionally go out and do harm to a black-footed ferret. But if somebody were to accidentally hit one with a car or in any other way accidentally harm the black-footed ferret, then they wouldn't be held accountable for that. What drew you to ferrets, working with ferrets? Like there are so many animals in the animal kingdom, but what? why did you choose specifically ferrets? I was kind of at the right place at at the right time. I went to graduate school in Wyoming, and that's where black-footed ferrets were rediscovered 40 years ago. And I had the opportunity to to do a research project on black-footed ferrets. I then had numerous jobs in different federal agencies and made really a conscious decision to focus and really try and become one of the world's experts on black-footed ferrets. And that happened to to pan out. So I oversaw the the large breeding facility that's overseen by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and had the opportunity to return animals back to the wild. So I've been working with the black-footed ferret for over 30 years. It was really the sea slug that kind of inspired me to be a biologist when I was in third grade because I did a report on sea slugs and, and I thought that was really cool. So everybody has kind of their own path uh, to where they are. And really, I just found ferrets very interesting and decided to really put all my effort into trying to save that that species for the most part. Is there anything that we can do to help? That's a great question. I think just by having this conversation and learning about black-footed ferrets is a great way to help. Also, I recommend going to your local zoo or aquarium or nature center sharing this information with your fellow classmates about prairie animals. It doesn't just have to be black-footed ferrets. It could be any, any animal or plant that's in trouble. Talking with your parents and if you have an apartment or a house or a townhouse or wherever you live, there are things that you can do to help local wildlife. I think those are some of the best things you can do. And then when you get a little older, you can go to school and then you can start studying black-footed ferrets and being experts in the field. 
Our guest has been Paul Marinari. He is the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, and he is saving black-footed ferrets. Thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour. Thank you all very much. Thank you. There's a lot more to learn about black-footed ferrets. We've got links posted at childrenshour.org. Stay tuned. We've got the Extinction Diaries coming up with a recap on the cloned black-footed ferret. This is the Children's Hour. jungle was your playground and the forest was your home And the meadows and the mountains were where you loved to roam If you woke up in the morning and all of this was gone, how would you feel? If your friends were all around you and your neighbors were there too Every member of your family was living close to you If you woke up in the morning all alone and in a zoo How would you feel? How would you feel? Danger, danger Like a jigsaw, so no pieces must be lost. When a species is no longer, every creature pays the cost. There are birds and bees and bison, pigs and pandas we may never see again. Danger, danger, animals in danger from the big to the small, and we stand. Diaries. There's a new black-footed ferret on planet Earth. Her name is Elizabeth Ann, and she is a clone, the very first one of an endangered species, and she is packed with hope for the Blackfoots and the entire science of saving species from extinction. 
Elizabeth is the pride and joy of the organization Revive and Restore, whose mission is to bring back species from the brink of extinction. She was cloned from cells that have been frozen since 1988, underscoring the potential of this technology. Black-footed ferrets were thought to be extinct long before that, but a small population was discovered in 1981 and protected. However, because of the small number, all the babies bred are known as half-siblings and vulnerable to disease. Elizabeth represents a break from that. The cloned Elizabeth hopefully has the genetic diversity that can be reintroduced into the black-footed population. There is hope, and humanity must continue to fight for each and every animal of every species at this point. We are in the sixth great extinction. My name is Arne Oliveira, and this is a Small World Radio production. Jim Stoltz from a CD called Web of Life. That's the Prairie Dog song. And the Extinction Diaries came to us out of KFOI in Redding and Red Bluff, California. Before that, out of the UK, Johnny and the Raindrops with Animals in Danger. We're going to go out with the Okie Dokie Brothers from their newest release, Brambletown. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour. We'll catch you next time. ever heard the way that the trees talk to one another through the soil and the breeze have you felt the light under the ground weaving the earth to life all around rain grows the grass grass feeds the herd the herd feeds the plant 
plant feeds the bird, the bird drops the seeds, the seeds grow the trees, the trees give the air, the air that we breathe. You and I are just one part of one big life with one beating heart. Cause the life that's in you is the life that's in me, and the life in a bird is the life in a tree. And if we can believe in one thing that's true, it's the life that's in me, is the life that's in you. to the forest we'd hear that it spoke and there's a message blowing through the maple and oak that if we try to pick something out by itself we'll find it's connected to everything else the plant and the animal the predator and prey the prairie and the fire the night and the day love and grief life and death are all bound together by the very same breath Cause the life that's in you is the life that's in me And the life in a bird is the life in a tree And if we can believe in one thing that's true It's the life that's in me is the life that's in you that's in you is the life that's in me and the life in a bird is the life in a tree and if we can believe in one thing that's true it's the life that's in me is the life that's in you The Children's Hour is produced by The Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. Our show was written by Katie Stone with lots of help from all of us on the kids' crew. You can find photos, links, learn along guides, and more about us at childrenshour.org. Many thanks to Paul Marinari, the senior curator at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute at the National Zoo, for being with us on the show today. Find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or go to our patreon.com slash the children's hour. Or ask your smart speaker to play the children's hour podcast. We post our photos and more on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find us at TCH Radio. Our theme music was written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and by the Pacifica Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. Thank you.